0: Welcome to Conversations with John and Lisa. My name is Linda, and I'm a member of the Messenger International podcast team. We are so excited that you're joining us today. So, you may be wondering who is this mystery voice and why is she here? Well, I have the honor of presenting two very big announcements to you. If you haven't heard our big news, we've released a brand new podcast called At Home with the Beveres. It's a podcast where we want to invite you into the Vivere family households, including John and Lisa. To talk about family, raising kids, and all things to help you create a legacy, starting at home. We know John and Lisa have been teasing this podcast for a while, and it's finally out. So make sure to check out this new podcast wherever you like to listen. The second announcement is we have something to celebrate, because Conversations with John and Lisa has now released over 200 episodes. A very big thank you goes out to all of our listeners because we seriously could not have done this without you. So to celebrate, we want to share another one of our favorite conversations from the archives. Today's episode is a conversation between John and Lisa, which features their sons, Addison and Arden Bevere. It's a conversation revolving around the I Am book from Sons and Daughters. This is incredible content and it applies to all generations. So without any more delay, I present to you today's conversation with John, Lisa, Addison, and Arden Bevere.
1: Well, welcome to this episode of Conversations. This one's going to be really special because I am not only joined by my husband, John, but I am also joined by my firstborn, Addison, and my lastborn, Arden. And we're going to be having a conversation about something that's really exciting. John, we're going to be talking about the transferring of faith. We're going to be talking about generational to generational, and we're going to be talking about all things identity. Now, I'm so excited about the I am book, and it is based on seven key identity declarations. And I, I love it. We're going to dive into that, but you're going to want to know how you can get a hold of this book. You can get a hold of it. Anywhere books are sold, you can get on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere Christian books are being sold. So let's just dive into that conversation.
2: I am particularly excited about this conversation we're about to have today because this is a crisis. It's called an identity crisis. And, you know, I am so proud of you guys for writing this I Am message, for coming out with the study on I Am and just the overall message, because here's my great concern. I look at so many people today, especially in your age groups, that their identity is shaped by, number one, what other people say about me, even parents, what social media says about me, or even what I do, my identity is wrapped up in what I do. When in reality, the way God designed us is that we are to know who we are in Christ and out of that flows what we do. And when we do that, we now become people who are walking in a confidence that that is so important to be successful in life and what we've been created to do. And so I'm excited about this, Addison. It's great to have you, Lisa Arden. Just... uh, It's great to be here. Yeah. Thanks for having us. You know, I'm going to open it up with a question, and I'm just going to throw it to the whole group. Is that all right? Let's do it. All right. So this book explores seven different I am statements. So here's the seven statements. I am holy. I am righteous. I am loved. I am secure. I am confident. I am creative. I am called. Which of these statements resonates the most with you? And which of these has been harder for you to accept for yourself personally?
3: Who are you directing that? Anybody? Yeah. I, think it's jump in. I, can, I can jump in because because I got to teach on on the one statement that honestly was something I struggled with for a long time, and that was confidence. And I remember for me, confidence was just something that I very much had a problem with comparing myself to. To you two, to my older brothers, being the youngest brother and kind of having that expectation that was either put on, by, put on me by like the random Facebook messages that would come in or the people at the book table, like the questions or are you the next John and Lisa Bevere? And I remember I just... Combined times 10. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Like That's how many books are be. you going to write? Yeah. When is your <laughs> book coming out? As I'm like 13 years old kind of thing. And I'm like, what? Um, but that expectation, I remember it caused me to get all the focus on what God uniquely put inside of me and focus in on you two. And I was, back then, I did not want to go into ministry. It was not the thing that I, I Man, you guys know I wanted to do kind of some other things, and then God took a hold of me. But back then, I was like, I, even if I go into ministry, I can't do Anything close to what they're doing because I, I had a, a you know I kind of stuttered over my words. It was really hard for me to get through sentences because I just lacked confidence, and so it just continued to cause me to go deeper and deeper into myself. And that's why I was so excited about sharing about this because I loved um, what we even talked about on the on the study. Is we talked about how you know a lot of people can have that inner piece of security, but then confidence is that outward expression. And sometimes in our in our world, we're like people mix confidence and arrogance together, and like no. Confident people are are you know terrible. They're mean, like they're they, they're like kind of you know abrasive kind of thing. But confidence is this innermost peace that you have about who you have been created to be, the authority you walk in, and then that's the outward expression. Where confidence is not used as something to put other people down, but to raise people up. And so yeah. that was the statement that I really took hold of, and I remember as I continued to go into the Word of God in understand what God called me to be as a son of God, that identity was locked into that. And the confidence came not from my performance, not from anything I did, but from the position I held as a son can, of God. Can, can
2: I bounce off of that for a second? Because what you said was so profound. I look at David and David was confident and his older brother accused him of being arrogant. If you read the account of the Philistine, I know the arrogance that's in your heart But David was just confident on who he was in Jehovah. And he looked at that giant and didn't see the giant. He knew who he was in Jehovah and who Jehovah was in him. And he went with confidence. And I love that, what you just said, because people are basing their confidence off of the wrong things or they have no confidence because they have no foundation in a relationship with Jesus.
1: You know, I would take that a step farther. I don't think that David was confident in who he was in Jehovah. I think David was confident in Jehovah and cause he said, like Hey, this isn't about me. This is about Saul's army. And I think when people are intimidated, they will accuse confident people of being, of being arrogant because yep. they don't have that Connection. I, you know, it's funny that you would struggle with confidence because that would have been what I would have struggled with um, because of a number of different things. And I remember uh, a moment, of looking in the mirror and thinking, "I can't believe I'm agreeing to move outside of my shell. I can't believe I'm moving into a new season. I'm a sleep-deprived mother of four children. I have nothing to offer." And I heard so clearly. This is not about you. This is about me. You know, and so I think that a lot of times if I place my confidence in my ability or in comparing myself to other people, I've already lost. But if I understand, you know, it we were having this discussion yesterday about heroes of faith in Hebrews 11, they they aren't the heroes, they were heroes because they had faith in God. It said through actions because they responded to who God was and yeah, so I love that, and you know, one of the things that I love is I've gotten to see you guys grow in your own manner. Uh, I don't know that we made it easy for you, and I, I mean, do you? Uh, I rem- I remember going to your second grade class and your teacher telling me he does not know how to speak up for himself. He does not know how to advocate. And I said he has three older brothers. I, I didn't blame myself in there, but I did say <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah.
3: Austin did tell me at one point, he's like, when I kind of came over that, he was like, I'm so glad you have a personality now. I was like, Thanks, oh, Austin. Like, didn't he really say <laughs> that yeah, to you? That's the like, first time really I've really ever heard that. that. <laughs> okay.
2: Wow. Yeah. Austin would say that. How yeah. about you, Adam?
4: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if I could backtrack for a moment, I think it's important to give a bit of context as to what we're talking about with the yeah. I Am book? Yes. And so a few years ago, we we founded Sons and Daughters. It was something that God had put in Arn's heart. And it, it formed through a series of conversations, and we threw some things out there, and they started to stick. And we found ourselves caught up in something that had traction. It became a movement. And we put this idea of a covenant out there that people grabbed hold of. Yes. And it was these seven I Am statements. And when we were going through Scripture, when we were taking inventory of what y'all invested in us over the years of things that you spoke over us, we found that they could all be placed within one of these seven I am statements. And then when we started engaging with sons and daughters all over the world across, yeah. gosh, I mean, not every time zone, but maybe pretty dang close to every time zone, yeah. dozens of countries, yeah. um, we started to see that the struggle was the same. Yeah. The questions were, were the same. The fears were the same. The opportunities were the same. We we're like, look, we need to create something that's bigger than even just a single culture, um, a single family, a single movement. We need to create something that invites the global family of God, global sons and daughters together so we can come together and be like, hey, this is who we are in a world that is so confused about identity. Hi. This is who we are, and this is what the outworking of our faith looks like in our cultural moment. And so the seven I am statements, if I can just hit them real quickly. Yeah. I'm holy.
1: Yeah. And can we just pause on that for a moment? That's my can, yeah. that's the
4: one I was gonna say. Yeah, can you
1: can you define yeah. that? Because <clears throat> yeah. I I wonder how hard it is for any of us to say that as a declaration.
4: Absolutely. And that's, that's probably why I'm the most passionate about that one in particular, because I do feel like holiness and the idea of the holy is what religion has used to perpetuate an us-first-them mentality. It's what religion has used to be like you're never good enough for God unless you fall within our mechanism, unless you do the things that we want you to do or tell you to do. So it always felt like a control tactic to me. But then when we start to understand what holiness is, which is an attribute of God's otherness, it's his beauty, it's his wonder, it's really that which cannot be defined then we start to realize, oh my goodness, what a mystery, (laughs) what a miracle it is to be invited into God's nature as sons and daughters of God when he calls us his holy ones. He is calling us the children of the holy one. He is speaking identity over us. He is speaking beauty and destiny over us. And so for me, when I started to unpack what holiness is, I became so attracted to that idea it is. And JB, I remember as a kid (laughs) hearing you Preach about Isaiah six, yes. and holy, holy, holy! <laughs> and your West Virginia slash Ireland slash whatever else Australian, accent, Australian accent. <laughs> <Australian. laughs> you would be talking about Isaiah encountering the presence of God and how the angels—they're not, you know—they're not yelling. Faithful, faithful. They're not yelling. Even love, love. And of course, we or know First John good. four that God is love. They're yelling holy, and what they're describing is they're saying, "Man, God, you are so." different. You are so other. Every single moment, a new attribute, a new facet of who you are is being revealed to us. And all we can do is respond wholly because there really aren't words to describe what we're seeing. And that's why Isaiah as a prophet, his vocation is to give words to the plans of God and the person of God, he's like, woe is me, I am lost. In other words, like, I can't really say anything. How do I articulate this glory that is other than anything that I've ever seen? But then of course, the seraphim takes a coal from the presence of God, puts it on his tongue. And the man who was saying, woe is me, I must be silent, is now saying, send me, I'll be your messenger. I'll I'll go tell the world about your holiness, your plans, your purposes. And so I think we do, we need a generation of sons and daughters to be like, I am holy. I mean, yeah. just think about what the Apostle Paul is writing. Yeah. And, and I mean, almost half the New Testament are letters penned by the yep. Apostle Paul. And what is he doing? He's saying, to the, to the, saints. the saints in Philippi, to the yep. saints in Corinth, to the saints in Rome. He's talking to Gentiles. Primarily, these are Gentile new Christ followers. Right. You read the rest of his letters. They were making lots of mistakes. They were still trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. Yep. And yet he was calling them holy. He's saying, you are the holy ones. And it is from that place of identity, from that place of belonging, from that place of elevation, that we find perspective to do the holy
2: work that God has called us to. So one thing that is so amazing to me is Ephesians 1, 4 tells us that before the foundations of the world, you know, Jesus, the lamb slain from the foundations of the world, God predetermined that we would be holy. So, before we ever prayed a prayer, before we ever did anything good to anybody, before we did any kind of action in regard to anything we're called to do, God declared us holy. And holy means you're set apart. God says, I am holy, right? Which means, like like you always say, I am completely unique into myself in the way I am, right? Nothing is like me. He says, you are separated. And you are identified with me before we ever did a thing. So when we operate out of that position, now all of a sudden we have confidence, as you said.
3: Well, and then going to these I am statements, every single I am statement, it's, you know, I am holy. So there's a continuation. It says, so I stand out from the crowd. And I think oftentimes what people always do is they always first put the first part of that statement first, and they say, I stand out in the crowd, so that makes me holy. But what you're just saying that's, is God declared us yes. holy. Yes. And right. so what we try to do is like, you know, with there's, I am love, so I love without reservation. People don't understand yeah. that they are loved. Yeah. And yeah. so they withhold love from other people because they don't understand the that's love right. that's been given to them. Right. And so we tried to make sure that every single statement was not only just, hey, we're saying this over you, but it's a call to action. It's because God has already spoken these things over yeah. For you, this is the things that he has awaiting for you. Yeah, this is what he has. And so that's why we did the covenant, because we wanted people to not only just get an idea and be like, hey, like, this sounds cool. I'm going to sign it. Like, I'm holy. Like, yeah. No, but we wanted the action. And we had thousands and thousands, I mean, tens of thousands of people actually signed the covenant when we released the covenant, which was so cool because it was a cry for people saying, I want the the life that that God has for me. Yeah, Yeah. You know, what we've talked about is the Romans where it talks about the entire cosmos, the entire universe standing on tiptoe waiting for the unveiling of God's glory. Glorious sons and daughters. And that's what we were ushering. We're saying we want to usher in that statement. We want to usher in this generation to understand that as the world is constantly questioning every single thing about your identity, that there has been a rooted destiny and identity that has been placed inside of you because of the Word of God, because of God's Spirit, and you need to walk in that.
4: Yeah, like one of the I am statements is I am righteous, so I fight for justice. And it's from that place of righteousness that we actually have eyes to see what true what eternal justice looks like and we of course represent a generation that rightfully so is advocating for justice in a world that has always been defined by injustice i mean this isn't unique to our generation our world has encountered different forms of injustices i mean that's part of the reason why god did what he did in the person of jesus was to show us a new way, a new path toward justice, because all our other mechanisms for justice kind of fell apart. And so, um, as we're looking at each of these, I am statements, they do call people to action. And we had people saying, Hey, we love this short form. We'd love for you to go in greater depth as to what it looks like to embody these ideas, to live from this place of covenant and to embrace the adventure that God has called us to.
1: I love that. And, you know, and it's God's pattern. God calls those things that are not as though they were. And so he comes to Gideon. The angel says, mighty man of valor, when he is the least of everything, when he's hiding, when he questions everything. Let me just do one more time for clarity's sake. And so I think that we need to understand that is the function of God. God says, all right, this is how I see you. This is how I see you finished now begin to walk into that direction of how I already see you. So he isn't saying, I'd like to see you this way. He's saying, I do see you this way. And I love that. I mean, before Jesus did anything, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That is just how God goes. He didn't do, I'll say that when you guys get on the other side of the wilderness, see if you pass the test with the devil, then I'll say it. No, he said it, which I believe empowered Jesus with an identity to go into the wilderness, you know, and, and have that identity where he could leave in the power God. Well, thereof. I mean,
4: think about what Satan says. The yeah. are the first thing, if, 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 you're, you're, really, if you're really the yeah. son of God,
1: yeah.
2: that's how he begins all of if. it.
1: Questions the yeah. identity. Yeah, yeah, at the
2: very beginning.
1: Because you know, if you, you undermine identity, you undermine everything. That's the open door.
2: Yeah. What I'm thinking as we're talking here is this is really a message of humility. I mean, think about it. Years ago, uh, the self-identification began, right? Um, I I remember, I mean, this is years and years ago, I mean, 10 maybe, a guy identified as a dog and I saw his video of him eating out of the dog bowl and all that. It's really tragic. (laughs) Somebody that self-identifies, that's pride. Somebody that comes under the statement of our creator of, I am holy, I am, right? Righteous. I I am am confident. confident, I am secure. secure." I am loved. That person has humbled themselves under the mighty hand of God. And therefore, what does God say? I'll lift I'll you up. You. I'll give you so ice to what see. people yeah. are trying to do, trying to get that elevation from self-identification, which they'll never get, they'll never get a, f- a fulfillment out of it. They can find in humbling themselves and saying, "Okay, God, you said I'm I am, I am loved." Okay, I'm loved now. I'm it's going to be easy for me to love, right? Yeah.
1: Or what if they actually don't think enough of themselves? That's what what it if is. they're what if they're self-identifying cuz they think I feel so uncomfortable as as a person I'm going to be a dog. Yeah. Dogs are, I mean I'm just they're saying looking for they something. don't understand yeah. the higher yeah. So they identify as who they've been or what their struggle is in that moment rather than who God calls them to be, which is, that's where it's a leap of faith. And we've been talking about this transfer of faith from from one generation to another and the deconstruction and the things that should be brought forward and maybe the things that were just formed with, you know, out any spiritual function. And I think that this is something that, we have seen loss. We have seen there's certain things where parents don't know how to pass on what is sacred without making it either uh, legalistic or or just oh we're just going to do everything. I was recently with some uh, ministers and they were explaining to me that um, their their senior pastors having a very very hard time because he never wanted to force anything on his kids. He wanted it to be their you know, the, the, this was the parents' decision. We want it to be their idea and yet they're completely disenfranchised. So they're asking me, how do you find that balance between what you force your kids to be involved in and, and what you allow them to develop in their own lives? And it's a big question.
2: You know, I just remember you saying to our sons as they were growing up, you are the, you are, us. Uh, princes. We're (laughs) raising you as princes. You are disciples. You're taught of the Lord and your peace is great. And constantly constantly speaking what God said about our children to them.
1: But we also didn't feel bad that they were in our family. I, I know there's a lot of ministers that feel bad, like, like feel their guilty. children. Oh my gosh, my kids have to go to church, so I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna let them do this or that. And we were really like, hey guys, you you were handpicked for this family. You get to do this. You yeah. get to do this. There's yeah. like an Aaron anointing on our family, and this is a privilege. Um, I I don't know how well we did it, but. I'm so proud of you guys. Um, I feel like you guys are way ahead in these identity pieces, on this holiness piece, on the confidence piece than we were at your age. Uh, I remember us. You know, so.
2: Yeah, Arden, you should have seen us when we were your age, when you were struggling. Yeah. Like I, I, you would have said, whoa, yeah. <laughs> yeah. there's no hope for the, that guy. <laughs> you know, but it, you it's You would ama- have liked his
1: mustache. You know, though. we've, would we've have constantly said to you guys, God
2: has called you to go farther, do more to be more effective. And we still want to see that so much. And we believe that will happen because that's what our creator says. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there's there's more fruitfulness with any every generation. And this is what we really need to understand is God wants us to be fruitful if we just get our identity from who we are in him.
3: Yeah. And that entrustment always extends out to the furthering of people. It's not it's not that we're, you know, you guys have position as well for our benefit. It's for the benefit of the people. It's the benefit of the masses, and I think that's incredible. Um, I think, you know, often what I'm seeing right now is, it's, like you guys said, it's the boiling down. Is We don't tell people, like, you have become a new creation, and going back to everything that we've talked about of a lot of people trying to find their identity and different, like, same-sex attraction or transgender. I remember I saw something where someone wrote, they said, you know, I grew up for you know, most of my life thinking I was the opposite sex and I became, you know, a male. And when I got saved, I like, you know, up until that point, I believed that I was a man, that I was born a man. And they said, when I got saved, my thinking completely flipped because I realized that I was maybe, maybe thought that, but I had to be born again. Like maybe I was born supposed to be a man, but they said, but that's why I had to get born again, because a new identity came over me, and that new identity grabbed hold of me, and she said, I knew what God has created me to be. I knew what God has done, and I think right now, too, what we're seeing is we're seeing a generation that wants to do something. Like, they really want to do it, but like, well, I, I, I'm only seeing there's a couple people speaking out. There's, um, there's only a couple people that want to get it. and going back to the story of Gideon, like yeah. Gideon was just one person, and then you have the masses come to Gideon. And God said, nope, that's too many. And that was a story that we really harped on um, when sharing around the I Am message was the story of Gideon. Yeah. Because we wanted to see that it does not have to be that you've got to wait until there's this massive, like just huge crowd that's going to get behind you and support you. It's like God's going to bring the things that needs to come. What you have to do is trust God in that situation and even when it feels like, hey, I don't think I have everything, I don't think I'm equipped enough that you're ready to step out. And I think that's that's what I'm wanting to see from this generation. Like well, I think the the big heart cry of sons and daughters is not that there's a lack of sons and daughters in the world, but there's a lack of sons and daughters who have stepped out into the fullness of what that actually means. Because we would see the transformation. We would see the converts across this world if we saw more people walking in the identity. I mean, going back to David, you know, David was at the battlefield right there up in the front, looking at Goliath. And what do you see? There was no lack of sons and daughters of God. The entire army of Israel was standing right there. But what there was a lack of was one son our daughter of God stepping up and saying, you know what, that enemy is not going to hinder this generation of Israel. And that's what we're looking for. That's what we want this book to be. We want it to not be that it's, you know, it's us, you know, one specific person on this team, but it's been a collective group of people that have sown into this book, that have written into this book, that have given their testimonies into this book. How many contributors do we have to this book? To this book, I think if I remember correctly, it was eight or nine. But we had total contributors that people who actually contributed to the book, it was something like 45. So maybe eight or nine
1: authors, but 45
3: contributors. No, that's not including including our internal team. It's it's people that were, yeah, people that sent in things. Wow!
1: Yeah,
4: and so the idea is it's a book. For sons and daughters, by sons and daughters, and can
1: I just say, just the name sons and daughters is very, very key because we have a culture. Since we're talking about self-identify, are you a boy? Are you a girl? Are you a non-binary? See, God doesn't talk to us as male or female. He doesn't talk to us as boy or girl. He calls us according to relationship, which is sons and daughters, which is way higher than gender. And so I love that that is a relational dynamic, you know, so they aren't saying, are you a son or a daughter? And the questions are saying, are you a man or a woman? And it's a very interesting that God calls us as a father, his children.
2: So you've got a question, Lisa, what's your question Reed? Do
1: you have a question? All yeah. right. All right. Okay. I love that the book starts with the question and the question is, have you ever found yourself thinking, is there more? Is there more? That's what the question is. That's the question. That's well, the question. Yeah. I mean, every, every <laughs> And day. this is, is there more, <laughs> is there more life than this? Is there more to this? Is there more to me? And, uh, what kind of conclusion have you come to? Uh,
4: yeah. Uh, again, I would say every day. I pretty much wake up with that question. I go to bed with that question. And I do think that's a part of what Paul is describing in First Corinthians 15 when he talks about dying daily. I do think that there is a sense of dying to what we believe is possible.
3: Yeah.
2: And it's Each not and every more day. stuff.
4: It's not. It's not more yeah. stuff. I mean, please. That... That narrative has been tried so many times, but and don't you think that longing for
1: more will never, ever be satisfied? It will never be satisfied,
4: here. and that's because Ecclesiastes 3:11 says eternity yeah. was written on our hearts. And right. so, there's something inside of us that is so spacious, it's eternal. It connects us with the very heart of God, which is eternity. And so, we will always
2: want something more. I think. Well, can I bring the scripture in on that to to affirm you? Yeah. That we groan. Yeah. Romans eight talks about us groaning, yeah, to all, become the fullness yeah. of the Son. It talks and about creation yeah, groaning, and, creation and we're, we participate we as part of creation. Said, yeah.
4: We yes, we are groaning, and Ephesians, um, where where Paul's writing about the Holy Spirit as an her, or a down payment for a future inheritance, right? Like that's all tied into that as well, because Paul's breaking down in Romans eight, the impact of the spirit and how we can start to participate and the yeah. reality of being sons and daughters of God, Romans eight fourteen and 15 through the spirit, right? So like right. that is a part of what we get to participate in now. But the truth is, and Paul writes this in first Corinthians 13, we do know in part right now, And a part of the experience that we have is a partial experience. And so we can grow in that. I'm not saying that we can't grow and experience new depths, but I think the question that we have to ask ourselves, because we do approach life for the most part, we approach life in this binary either or sense, either I have it or I don't. And I think maturity requires us to realize there's always going to be more. And that's a part of the adventure. That's a part of the gift of life. And you can't choose to wait to be satisfied until you have it all. And I think a lot of people today, when it comes to their identity, when it comes to their purpose, they're like, I will never be satisfied till I have it all. And they're missing out on the growth and the joy and the meaning of what's happening today. The way the needle is moving in their life today and their relationships and their purpose um, and their sense of identity, all of that. And so what we want to provide to people is a way for them to be more aware of what God is doing in their world right now and through them right now, because that will locate them in this present time. Because I think a lot of people are trading their time for nothing because they don't view their time as valuable. And that's one of the greatest schemes of the enemy. And they don't think
1: there's more ahead, so they're taking it now. Right. It's to
4: convince us what you're doing right now is significant. And that's why Jesus says in Matthew 6, he's like, hey, don't worry about tomorrow. Like Tomorrow's going to have cares and concerns of its own. I want you to be present to what God is doing today, because God is the only one who gets to live in the past, present, and future. We get to live in the present. If we try to live in the past or the future, we are, guess what we're doing? We're given into idolatry. And what happens when we become idolatrous? Our lives fall apart. And so we have to trust God with our past because the past is not ours. And we have to trust God with the future because the future is not ours. What we have is we have the present. And how we live in the present, of course, dictates what the future
2: is going to look like. And
4: so I don't even know how we so got So the, gro- the groaning, no, about, about the groaning the is about good the
2: because it keeps us on the journey, but we need to be content in the journey is what I'm hearing you say. Absolutely. The content groaning the is a
4: part of what awakens us to what's meaningful today in the journey. It's both and. It's not either or. And um, and I mean, I love what Proverbs 25 says. It purpose in the heart of man is like deep waters. And the man of understanding draws it out. Like you have to keep going back to those deep waters. You don't go back to a well one time. You go back to it again and again and again and again, and you draw it out. And there's a way to live. With a, with a sense of purpose and a sense of passion where you continue to go back and draw out and not just live on what
2: you once experienced. So, you know, I, I still can't shake this though because I feel like there's some people out here that really need to hear that. And I feel like I'm failing at saying this clear. I think about the path of the righteous is upward, right? That shines brighter and brighter, all right? Until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. That yearning for more keeps us going rather than just stopping. I can say, as a man who's walked with Jesus over 40 years, I have that groaning, that yearning, knowing that every day there's a possibility of growing closer and even more intimate with Jesus and becoming more like Him. Because the goal, the goal of the Father was that we be conformed to the image of His dear Son. And that's why Paul said, I'm pressing towards the mark of the high call. That was to be conformed to his image. And so it's okay to have that groaning and going, is there more, is there more? The problem is, is when we look for more in my position at work, when we look for more in having a bigger house, when we look for more and in having more raid. popularity, yeah. having more people following me on Instagram, yeah. that more will destroy us. The more that we should yearn for him is to be conformed to his image so we can have intimate fellowship with him. That's what makes us fruitful because again, that's laboring out of our identity instead of finding our identity out of what we do.
4: Yeah, and I think, and to your point, I agree with you, and to your point, I think a lot of people, because they don't understand the journey of more, they either are consumed of pursuing things that don't really matter, that aren't going to satisfy that, or they reject the idea that there's more. Yeah. They reject the idea that that God has something greater for them. They quit, and because they feel like they're not there now, they believe they will never be there. And that's why I think there is an appropriate way and how I started what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 to dying daily and saying, God, you speak these things over me. I know this to be true. And I might not see it today, but I believe that you can give me eyes to
3: see what I've yet to see.
4: Yeah. Right. And that's
3: that's the journey we're all on. Yeah. Can I can I skip uh, my question and actually steal Addison's question? Because I think this is a really good question. It's I know we're Addison. getting, I, I we're, getting get we're getting closer to you know time on this, but yeah. Um, I wanted to ask everyone if you could communicate one thing to sons and daughters of God about who God is and who he created them to be, what would it be? Because I think that's a big thing. I think a lot of people are are trying. They're like, yeah, well, I, I understand I'm a child of God, but what does that mean? What all encompasses that? And I know we talk about that within the book. So, I mean, I think that's a great tool and resource to grab a hold of to be able to really understand those seven, nine statements and what it means to be a son or daughter. But what would you guys communicate to them?
1: Well, one thing uh, that I have found that I think is a little bit of a shock to people is God isn't looking for reasons to reject them, judge them. He is not disappointed. He is not on the sidelines of their life wishing they would do it better. He loves them he loves them. And I I feel like that somehow has been lost. And so what happens is we have this idea that we have a wicked, deceptive heart that we read about in the book of Jeremiah. And so why would God love us? If we have this wicked, deceptive heart, why would God love us? And so there's this kind of confusion to me in the gospel for a lot of people about even being born again. What happened when you get born again? Do you have this still have a wicked, deceptive heart, and you're just trying to be good? And God loves you, but you still are wicked. And just it, it a lot of it doesn't. Or he doesn't mix. really
4: love you. He just loves Jesus.
1: He loves Jesus, and Jesus said, "Please and he tolerate tolerates them." You, yeah, yeah he Jesus is you. like, please just tolerate yeah. them. Don't look at what they're doing. Jesus is like hiding it. Please don't see it. <laughs> no, that's kind it, of it's, the mindset. It's really like he's weird, he's yes. hiding. So I think there is such a need for a deep revelation that God doesn't just have love for them. He is love for them. I mean, and that's just a hard, like God, like I have love for John, but I am not love for John. And that is who God is as a person. And I think when we have a revelation and you're talking about that I am loved, when when you have a revelation of the God who is love, then you can actually hear him call you by name. And when you have that connection of father and son or father and daughter, then he tells you, I love you and who you are to me is more important than what you could ever do for me. So so you're like, okay, wait, I thought I had a calling. He's like, yeah, your calling is to be my son and my daughter. And out of that, out of that relationship, there is an outflow of what we bring to the earth, whatever that entrustment is. And I just think too few people really understand the love of God. I think they understand the shame of their sin, the fallen nature of Adam, uh, the, the mistakes of that moment that day. I don't think they have a revelation of this fierce love of God for them. I really don't and, and, I think and that's the scripture important.
2: says he's made us accepted in the unbeloved we're even accepted, the before accepted before we some. ever did a thing and <laughs> you know a lot of people college. they want to they want to be accepted they want to be embraced right they want to be affirmed god says i made you accepted among the beloved before you ever yeah. ever
1: yeah, did when, a thing when for me we are me. yet enemies so yeah.
2: we operate yeah. out of that being accepted into his family into his citizenship and out of that, we live. And if we live out of that, we're secure. I just look at Jesus. And, and, and I think your question that you just asked, a son or a daughter is in the image of their father. A, a racehorse, I've said this time and time again, a racehorse cannot give birth to a worm. A racehorse cannot give birth to a squirrel. A thoroughbred racehorse will give birth to a horse that has the potential of being another Champion, correct, and this is what really angered the Pharisees, because Jesus identified with his father. He said, "I have come out of my father," and he claimed him to be his father. And they're sitting there going, "You're saying you are in the exact image well, that, of God?"
4: And yeah, and, and that's and, what
2: infuriated them. Well, in them. John
4: five, it says they were mad because he was doing these miracles on the Sabbath, but then it goes on to say they wanted to kill him. Because he was calling himself the, the son, son of, of God. God. That's why that they was they the kill reason him. why they
2: wanted yeah. to kill him. And now yeah. let me put this scripture yeah. with you. First John three, beloved now. Yeah we are the sons and daughters of God. Yeah. Not 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 when right. we get to heaven. Right. Beloved now. And I'm so glad John the Apostle, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said
4: now. But you do realize the spirit of the world and this is the world that Jesus is talking about in John 15 and John 16 the spirit of the world does not want us to identify as the sons and daughters of God no. and the spirit of the world is tied into the spirit of religion because yes. really they're one in the same so the, well they, said the systems yes. run together this, yeah, this, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly they
2: feed each other they it. do Yep. Yeah. we so, need to view religion that kind of religion that you're talking about yes. as deadly as going to a bar and getting flat out drunk which some people are terrified quite, of quite possibly more I'm deadly. terrified <laughs> Of the yeah, spirit of religion. Yeah, yeah. What's that? Would you say? I'm I can think of
1: it. a lot worse things than yeah. being flat out drunk. But well, yes. I mean,
2: I mean, I'm just, I'm just trying to say, no, you know, tr- people have their images of what oh, you know I'm, what is okay, really let's dangerous. Just, let's just
4: speak practically. You look at the a lot of millennials and Gen Z right now who are de-churched or yeah. don't want anything to do with church. It's the spirit of religion for a lot of them that drove them away a lot of those people it was the spirit of religion and now they want nothing to do with church they don't want anything to do with anything that looks or smells like it could be religious and we're having to navigate that now like with the people that we're leading and the people we're engaging with and so but we but they're we, also
1: partnering with the system of the world by even going down there so it's absolutely. it's an interesting thing so there there comes this thing where you have to come on a pure road And that's the because neither it's it's the whole pendulum swift idea the
4: pendulum swing idea like it's you're choosing the lesser of two evils but you'll find that both of them are going to lead you to the same place.
2: Very well said. So I think the one of the one of the final things that I want to ask is, what did we do right and wrong in communicating our faith? And our relationship with Jesus, to you sons. I mean, let's just get open and can honest we, here, okay? Could
1: we just? We? What did yeah, I, you do I, I, right I realize, and wrong? I realize I'm really. Yeah. Yeah. Might how be much how time, time do we have? Questions. Do you want to hear just, just the right? Ways. We need to <laughs> turn that
2: clock off. Yeah. Well, yeah, let's, let's just. We yeah, I just the clock anything for now. that would just. Think about anything that would help people listening yeah. to us right now Yeah, and
1: we're hey listen and we're we okay have, with saying what we've done well, right. we were
2: we were nine years apart so we really did have different
3: experiences that's true honestly we really did have yeah different i think experiences, addison so. could tell you a lot of the wrongs and <laughs> maybe i could tell you something right no, <laughs> just that yeah we i, I really wish i could go, do addison all over first? again no way i i'm anyway we can talk about that <laughs> hey um well i mean i think some of the things that you guys constantly did right was what you guys have already talked about, is that you continue to declare the word of God over us. Every time that we believed a lie from a friend, believed a lie from a teacher, believed a lie about ourselves. we constantly heard the word of God counteract and fight those lies. And you guys continue to speak that. But then not only that, but you guys showed the relationship side of um, honestly, our, our relationship with God. And and that was something so beautiful to see. And I know you guys have talked about this a lot of times, um, but I think when parents show that it's so much deeper than just getting your kid to church. It's this, you have a relationship with your creator and watching, you know, dad, of course, every, almost every day, seeing you reading your word and coming, running out and being like, look at this, what God said in his word that I've read probably 60 times. The moment it was that, awkward for you, yeah, but no, it stuck. But but it <laughs> stuck. And I remember I I, was, I started having conversations with my friends about the word of God. I remember I started pulling those revelations that you would come running out to the breakfast table and be like, look what I just read, and and it just didn't seem relevant at the time. But what happened was it began to be ingrained in my subconscious. And when my subconscious, which controls and, you know, dictates so much of my thinking and my life, is developed by the Word of God rather than the the Word spoken over by, you know, the world, it gives me this second nature of being able to react and respond based on what the truth Says about me and the truth says about this word. So that was something I really appreciated, Mom. I mean, you every single night praying over us, you yep. know, speaking, declaring truths. I think. Well, I remember you know, singing with you in the
1: car. Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, we used to worship. And I don't we know feel, if he was
3: going to go there, but yeah. No, I mean. no,
1: just Arden and I would be in the car and I remember <laughs> we would be coffee. singing <laughs> and coffee. the presence of God would just fill the car. Do yeah. you remember that? And I'd say, Arden, do you feel that? And you'd be like, I do. You know, we just gave honor to the presence of yeah. God when we would feel it. Oh. Yep. And oh.
3: Thanks, Adam. <laughs> Thank you. I really needed that. I appreciate that. Do you want to go ahead and tell the wrongs? No. Yeah, no. We were no, I mean, uh, what? I feel like you have other things. Is that it? The other things, yeah. Uh, I, mean, I mean, that's what, that's what I was thinking. All right, I mean, if you I think about t- more, jump in, okay? Because y'all did a lot of open things. door policy. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't going like <laughs> in specific things <laughs> like that. I'll,
4: I'll be I'll be specific about some things. So I have four kids of my own, and so I, I do have a greater sense of appreciation for the things that you did right because it's not easy to do. A lot of these things, Um, but one of one of the things that really stood out to me and was a big part of my formation, even though I didn't enjoy reading the Bible until I was quite a bit older. But seeing you every day in the Word, every day getting up to pray—I mean, that can't not leave a mark on someone. When you see someone that committed. To a specific habit. All of his pens. All of his pens. Which if, I don't have my Bible here, but if, like I have become you. Like yeah, it's so it's, cool. it's crazy. My <laughs> it Bible me. is. I use I actually use a credit card or a ruler, so my lines are straighter. But I really have. I've become you, and that was one of those things that that didn't well up in me until much later. Until really even like after Bible school, it didn't well up in me until I was in my early twenties. And yet that was something that was a huge part of my childhood. Mom, for you, something that you did, I call them our bathroom conversations. I spent so much time because you were gone a lot, mm-hmm. especially yeah. when I was when I was a kid Um since I spent so much time just sitting on your bathroom floor while you were doing your makeup or taking your makeup off or whatever I would lay on the bathroom floor I would sit on the bathroom floor and we would just have conversations we would talk about anything and everything and you you definitely developed a sense of wonder in me and the desire that I have today to find beauty in things I really do attribute to you and so yeah absolutely and and so I would say one of the the hallmarks of how y'all parented us and transferred what was in you to us was also your consistency. Nick, like, y'all definitely made mistakes. Um, your mistakes were very intense when you made them. Yes. You, I mean, you've been very vulnerable about <laughs> I've about said your I'm mistakes. sorry so many yeah. times until y'all, finally we, one we day Addison have, said, you we, don't need to say I'm you, sorry anymore. Yeah, no we, we, yeah, we, we both apolog- have apologized. You guys would yes. always apologize. Yes. Humility creates safety. It always felt safe, even though sometimes it was pretty crazy. It would always feel safe eventually because we would come back and we would reconcile and create that safe environment. But you guys were consistent. Like You guys were the people who you presented yourself to be outside of the home. And that was huge. And when you weren't, you apologize and you made it right. And there's the old saying that Rome wasn't built in a day, but it was built daily. And I do think it's one of those things, like it is in the daily. And I know there are parents out there listening to this and you're like, man, I've been doing what feels like the right thing for a stinking long time, but I'm not seeing what I'm supposed to see or what I want to see. And I would just encourage them and say, you will see it eventually. It, it will, it will have its season where it will come to the surface and people will see it for what it is. And I would just encourage them to be faithful with the day. I really believe that the battle for our children is won and lost with how we navigate the day. And when we do miss the mark coming back and apologizing and humbling ourselves, it, it, it just increases respect and trust and love and transparency in homes. And in the world that we live in today with all the craziness and all the conversations that are happening and people are inundated with information in a way that no other generation has had to navigate. Kids need a safe place to navigate what they're hearing in the home. And if they don't get it in the home, they're going to find it somewhere else. And so I think if kids can feel safe to process questions about faith, about God about why we do the things that we do, that'll help solidify their faith. Because our job as parents, I'm speaking as a parent, is to train a child not to be dependent on us, right? The, right. the children who yeah. go sideways are the children who vigorously become independent of their parent because their parents were trying to make them dependent on them for the rest of their lives, yeah. or the kids who never learn what it is to go off and be independent so they can enter into interdependence with their parent which is a healthy flourishing relationship and so those are some things that I would I I would call out yeah no you're good
1: I think it was um I can't remember his name his last name was right but he um I think it's H. Norman Wright. Anyways. Was he right? He, no. no. He's okay. a theologian, but no, it was a it was a child psychologist, and he had said the goal of every parent is to raise children that are independent of you and dependent on God. And I just thought that was a great balance um, to just say, yeah. hey, and so when we messed up, we that was always our like, hey, our default. You know, I love these I am statements. I love that you guys have taken the time to compile them and not just do it as offhand declarations that you would just stick on a bathroom mirror. But these are things that if they allow these things to be woven in them, it actually becomes a map. It becomes a map that's going to take them from where they are to that place of everything that God created them to be. And I just would tell every single parent that is listening to this, this is the kind of book you want to put in the hands of your children. I would say this to every single youth group leader. Like if you are seeing, well, there's a sin problem. Well, it's usually an identity problem. And so if you can go down deep into these I, at these core seven issues, I know that this book will weave not just like a, a rescue net, but just like a trampoline, and propel people into what God has for them. So I'm and, really excited about that. And what I love about, about this
2: book is you're getting the benefit of two generations. And I'm going to say something heartbreaking. I've seen I've observed two responses with children with minister parents. Uh, one response is I'm going to go completely away from. the the roots that my parents instilled in me. But what you guys did is you got the gist of what we were saying, of what God did in our hearts for 40 years of walking with Jesus. But then you added your 35 years, your 27 years into this. So you're really getting two generations of wisdom because of the way. And, And what I love about you guys, you each have your, all you guys that participate in this book have your own voices. I mean, you do not sound like your carbon copies of John and Lisa Bevere. That was the biggest challenge, was creating a synthesis of all these different voices.
4: Yeah, But I that's bet. also what created, really what, Makes the book so beautiful. Yeah. Because it is a synthesis of so many different voices from different continents, yeah. from different age groups. Wow. And I would also say this one of our proofreaders, he's um, almost 40, and he was going through it. He told me he was just bawling as I he was love going that. through it. And he, I love he, that. he has children of his own. And he was telling me, he's like, listen, I thought this was a book for young adults. He's like, but I realized when I was reading it, this is for anyone, anyone. Who needs a fresh revelation of what it is to be a child of God? I love Anyone that. who needs that fresh revelation. So say the title that was really again.
1: Cool. I am. I am, and then the subtitle.
4: You want
3: to do it? Yeah, it's Claim Your Identity, Find Freedom, and Embrace uh, the Adventure. Embrace the Adventure. Embrace uh, the we just call it I Am. Uh-huh. I know.
1: It's a yeah, big. Uh, subtitle, because I am has so much in it. But
4: if you look at what Jesus did in John's gospel, the seven I am statements, arguably eight I am statements, depending on who you talk to. But what he was doing is he was redefining sonship. And that's why he used the term father more than a hundred times from John 5 to John 17. Jesus uses the term father over a hundred times. And I think we as sons and daughters of God across generations, we need a fresh revelation of what it is to be sons and daughters of God. It's like what he said to Mary, right? Jesus' first, first message after his resurrection, what is it? Go and tell them that I go to what? My father and their father, my God and their God. First message, first message. He said
1: the, the, the breach is closed.
4: Yeah, and I, I really do believe that that is the key to uniting generations and to forging purpose, a sense of belonging, like you were saying, the courage to go into the unknown, to find what God has for us individually and collectively. And our world needs that. Our world needs that.
2: Well, everybody, we're out of time, and I just want to remind you, please review, rate, and subscribe to the program. If you rate it and subscribe to it, what you're going to do is actually help more people get the message of conversations. And the other thing I want to mention is the I Am book is available. I'm so excited about this. It's available on Amazon. It's available everywhere books are sold. It's available on the Messenger store. And the other thing that you can immediately jump into right now is if you got Messenger X and if you don't have Messenger where have you been? Anyway, just go to the app store, type in Messenger X. The entire app is completely a gift to you. We ask you to join with us in this mission to disciple the nations of the world, but you can get on this app and get the I Am study that's already on the app. So you can dive in before Amazon gets your book to you tomorrow. You can dive in before Messenger sends it to you. Just get going on this because I'm convinced when we really grab a hold of this message of flowing out of our identity, rather than finding our identity in what we do, we are going to be very powerful instruments for the King of Kings. We're really going to be sons and daughters of God. So until next time, this has been Conversations with John and Lisa and Addison and Arden.
0: We hope you enjoyed today's Blast from the Past. And for more content, make sure you check out our newest podcast, At Home with the Beveers which features John and Lisa Bevere. It's available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, if you like today's conversation, make sure you check out the I Am Book, as well as the new I Am Transformed 40-Day Devotional. And while you're at it, jump on over to the Messenger X app to follow along with the I Am Transformed 40-Day Audio Journey. John and Lisa will return soon with even more life-giving content. Until then, thank you for joining us today on Conversations with John and Lisa.